Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom, and think. I'm Alicia Young, Trends Manager for the APAP region here at Mintel, based in Sydney. The COVID-19 pandemic has changed an awful lot of things about how we live and also how we want to live. For many people who are forced to work from home, almost indefinitely, this has meant more freedom to choose where that home could be without the proximity to an office or a workplace being the deciding factor. In the early days of the pandemic, we saw so many photos of dead quiet CBDs, empty buildings, tumbleweeds rolling down the streets. Without people bringing them to life, cities are quite really eerie places. Many question what the point of cities would be if if office workers were no longer bound to them five days a week. And some people even started to call the city obsolete as a concept. Now, over almost 18 months at this point, from when we were first told that we uh, all had to work on home on Monday just to kind of see how this would play out, what roles do we think that cities, and indeed, what what roles do we think that cities should be playing in a post-COVID world? To tackle these big questions, we've got some of the heavyweights of consumer trends analysis joining me from around the world. We've got Richard, Diana, and Matthew. If you could go around kind of in that order and introduce yourselves and and just throw in how your living situation has changed in the last, well, since this time last year. Hi, I'm Richard Cope. I'm a senior trends consultant at Mintel and I deliver projects for the company, really looking at what the future is going to hold for our clients in, in various areas of their business. And I guess I'm bit of an on-trend cliche of what we're talking about today because I, I did live in London and, and moved out to Winchester, the southwest of London, uh, a good two or three months ago. Awesome. Are you liking it? I am, yeah. It's, I mean, I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying the space and the pace, um, but still having sort of access to all the convenient things you get in a city as well. So, yeah, it's working out well. Thanks, Felicia. Excellent. And hi, I am Diana Kelter. I am a senior trends analyst at Mintel and I focus on North American trends coverage. And following Richard, I am also a pandemic cliche. I moved out of a major city being Chicago and moved to Austin, Texas, what we're referring to as one of these second cities, gaining a lot of popularity here. Um, And similar to Richard, I've really enjoyed the change of pace to my lifestyle. Hi, I'm Matthew Crabb. I'm the Trends Director for Asia Pacific. I live in Kuala Lumpur and I moved next door, literally. Of cool. <laughs> and how was that for you, the change in scenery? Brief. <laughs> Not much of a change of scenery, no. Good one. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining. Um, so this is a big topic, so maybe we'll just get stuck right into it. Given we are all experts in what consumers want and why, maybe we'll start with, with the consumer. So... Do you think that people have prioritized or reprioritized, sorry, what they look for in their physical locations? So thinking their city, their neighborhood, their physical spaces as a result of COVID. Anybody got any initial thoughts, Diana? Yeah, I can kick off with like a foundational way to think about it. And then I'd be curious to hear what Matthew and Richard have to say. So I think one thing that's interesting, I think globally, we've all seen these headlines that go back and forth, almost causing us to spin our heads around because some are saying cities are dead, they're not returning. And then some are saying cities are alive again, cities are flourishing. So I think one thing that's come to my attention is just thinking about the constants we know of when it comes to how people live and why, which is that younger people tend to always flock to cities because they want to set up their networks. They want to set their base. They want those cultural aspects of a city. And as people get older and they're 
priorities shift. They tend to want more space. They want a house. They want places where their kids can go to school and all just different priorities. And so I think those things have remained constant. I think right now we're continuing to see cities flourish again because young people want the city lifestyle. They've If they always wanted to live in New York, that's something that they're still going to go after and achieve. I think what COVID shifted is the acceleration or the manner and the pace of which people made these decisions. Um, and I think we're seeing that cities like, um, and specifically in the U.S. market, some of these smaller cities like Austin, where I am, or Seattle or Nashville, that have never had those major aspects of uh, New York, Chicago, or L.A., they're taking on those elements. So I think they're, it's breaking up some of that huge fluctuation of young people that would always want to go to New York or Chicago. And they're finding some of those elements in uh, Austin or Seattle, so I think that's especially with COVID. Now we've seen that shift where people maybe aren't making that drastic shift to a major city because they're getting what they want from these smaller cities. And I think we're seeing that as um, people who are in that life stage or maybe they'd want to go to the suburbs, it's maybe just happening. COVID accelerated that. Like maybe they would have waited traditionally five years, but now with remote work, they're like, I actually have always wanted to live closer to my family. I was planning to do this kind of move. So now that I don't have my office, I'm going to make that move maybe two or three, five years earlier than I initially planned. So I think we're seeing COVID shift things, but I think those foundational elements haven't really gone away of what people want. There's always a really good way to think about trends, actually. They're like looking at the things that don't change is often just as important as looking at the things that do change, right? Like everyone was always asking, exactly. what are the massive things that have changed? What have we seen change? And it's like, well, if you look at the basic things that haven't changed, we can kind of work around that and then adapt, right? I always believe you have to look to the past to look forward to. So absolutely, yes. important to look at what. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Richard, any thoughts on that as well? Yeah, I mean, thinking about the constants and and, and what may have changed is, is one thing that occurs to me is really around demographics because I think what we had before we've got an aging population profile. Lots of lots of the countries we're talking about here, and that had never really diminished. Um, urbanization rates because you know people who have health issues and things as they get older they want the convenience and the, and the proximity i think of healthcare and their doorstep now i think what's changed during this pandemic is you know, lots of patients lots of doctors had a real crash course in kind of e-health remote consultations and things like that remote monitoring etc and i think that's turned out pretty well and i think that that pull of cities for a lot of those older people may have actually actually weakened um and instead you're going to get them them creating this big market for sort of home tech wearables and things like that and that sort of stops them possibly having to live in cities um but you can flip that and say that um you know aging you can also argue that the aging population will continue to strengthen urbanization because obviously um, i don't care what any of the politicians say in all, all the countries we are in at the moment aging necessitates migration so the you know migration young people moving into countries, they are going to continue to head to cities of some description. So that age population will continue to um, create that process as well. Um, I guess the other thing that's happened in terms of reprioritization is people, if you are living within a city, it is what do you want? And I think even if you're staying within the city boundaries, people do want more space or at least access to public spaces, not in their own home, clean air, things like that. So we're obviously seeing lots of anecdotal evidence about that that real estate shift as well, and we've obviously seen the very strong links with um, urban pollution leads to you know high levels of PM two point five, poor lung health, poor heart health, and you know that that's really been hammered home by the pandemic. So I guess the other thing is within cities, people are looking for a different kind of, of urban environment, even if they're not leaving the city. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a really interesting point actually being raised about just because everybody, you know, people are getting older and perhaps they are aging in place. That's something that we actually spoke about a fair bit in one of our trends. I say that because I wrote it, um, sustainable spaces, where we spoke about aging in place and these aging demographics, but that is going to necessitate people, younger people coming in to look after them, right? Like they're not going to be able to just stay there by themselves. We're going to need migrants or people coming into those spaces in order to, if not necessarily care for them, certainly work in the shops and work around them to, to facilitate it being an area that can be lived in. Um, yeah, really interesting point. Matthew? Yes. So I'm going to talk about how people view and use spaces in the urban context. So during lockdown, a lot of people were stuck at home uh, and got to see their uh, the interior of their homes for extended periods of time. And all, all of a sudden, they sort of started spotting the, the, the messy corners and the bits that hadn't been cleaned and then started moving furniture and thinking, oh, you know, that looks better or they want to start changing things. And I think a lot of people have started to rethink how they use their space that they live in. And I think that's also um, had a knock-on effect in terms of, well, what do I actually need? So as well as um, seeing a change in how they view and use their own four walls, if you like, the space in their homes, people are also thinking more about how they uh, view and use space in the, the wider urban situation. For instance, people being locked home uh, basically, they've had to use services to your door. Uh, so they've been thinking differently or they've been forced to think differently about how uh, the dynamics of a city work and how they use space. So in some ways, I think we've seen a mindset change. We, no, we've seen an acceleration of, of developments in new services and so on. I don't think we've yet seen the real significant change. I think that's a, uh, something that we can still look out for. But I think having had that mindset change, that's the important part. Start, people are starting to think differently about cities and how they use them. That's a really good point, Matt. Thank you. And that actually um, leads me really nicely to my next question, which is, are there any changes or innovations that you saw that were initially forced upon cities, you know, uh, cities in your region, sorry, because of COVID that have actually proved beneficial to consumers or, you know, citizens, people, whatever, the people living in these cities, um, beyond just their COVID safetiness, you know, the, the way that they make, you know, <laughs> that's, a, that's a thing, right? Uh, the way that they, they, they're, they're COVID safe. Do you think these changes or any changes that you've seen, like, do you think that they'll remain long term? Do you think that they'll be quite short lived, perhaps? And things will, as we said just before, as Diana mentioned, could just go back to normal because they're not addressing a, a fundamental constant need for consumers. Well, one thing I think that has been a beneficial shift, and I, I don't think this was obviously new to COVID, but COVID did enforce the necessity of it, which is the uh, reliance we've all had on the outdoors. I think pretty early on um, in the pandemic, it was um, in the U.S., it was like April. So it was kind of when weather was starting to get nice across the country. And so the outdoors was pretty quickly on deemed a safe area to socialize, to spend time, to go for walks. It, it was just kind of that space where you could feel a sense of normalcy, I think. And so I think we've continued to see businesses really across the board 
leverage the outdoors in unique ways, whether it's outdoor pickup or curbside pickup, or like we've seen in cities, leveraging closing streets to have sidewalk cafes. They've just leveraged their spaces in that is like a space in a new way. And this was a trend we talked about on trends for, you know, back in 2019, we talked about the term rewilding of urban environments, kind of thinking about the outdoors as a place for our mental health, a place for to get away from our screens and connect with nature. But I think what's interesting, and this is a trend, I'm curious if it will stick, is we've seen a lot of these outdoor-focused companies or athletic companies like um, North Face or Lululemon change their focus. I think they've always pushed the outdoors is you have to go seek adventure. You have to go to a state park. You have to go find the outdoors. And I think they're bringing, because of COVID, that message of what the outdoors can be closer to home. Like they're investing in community wellness features. They're investing in neighborhood parks. So I think they're the COVID has brought attention to the outdoors closer to home versus you have to go to some area where there's going to be a lot of nature and climb a mountain climb or, a mountain exactly yeah, yeah. i think they're just going to do to, some rugged yeah you have a backyard <laughs> exactly so i think it's just become more inward of how we think about outdoor spaces and i feel like that's a covid shift that will stay i do hope so yes um richard any thoughts on that as well yeah, when we're talking about big lasting beneficial changes i think micro mobility is the big one um the new research we've done at mintel around sustainability shows that yes People did use their cars or even taxis more often during the past 12 months. But the biggest behavior changes we saw were more people walking, more people cycling, indeed more people starting to cycle as well. And I think even if you start to see EVs gaining more market share, um, I think those predictions we've seen in the past about, you know, a kind of 70% decline in car ownership in the next sort of 30 years, they look they still look dead on to me. And I think this has kind of hastened that. Uh, you're going to see, I think you see cities become more walkable, more navigable, um, cleaner. I always sticks with me this quote from, I think uh, it's one of, it's not the mayor, it's one of the city authorities in Copenhagen talked about, you know, in the future, we'll look back uh, at city centers with cars in the way that we look back on bars where people smoked inside and just sort of, you know, did people really do that? Um, so I think this is going to hasten us towards that era where transport is about, having access to to transport, not owning transport. And you'll see more of those services we see again in a lot of Scandinavian countries, for example, where you've got kind of seamless access to public transport system, you know, um, you know, hiring taxis, whatever it might be. And it's just like a seamless transport experience. And I think that kind of thing is really going to become the norm. And I think the pandemic will, will have sped that up. What do you think of the concept of um, 15-minute cities that we've seen a little bit of kind of a lot more talk about that kind of concept coming up lately. I think that makes complete sense because I think that that's what a city should be. And we've lost sight of that. As cities have got bigger, they've actually stopped being as convenient um, as they used to be. I really noticed that where I live now. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of 10 minutes, you know, walk from a city centre. Um, and actually, it's much more accessible and things I can do compared to when I was in London. So, yeah, I think cities have lost sight of the convenience. They're kind of driving factors for where people are. Uh, why people want to go there. And this is all things like the 15 minute city. It's just kind of, it's, you know, to Diana's point, it's about getting, but let's go back to the past. Let's remember what were the sort of founding principles of this in the first place. So yeah, it's, it's back to our roots, I think, when it comes to those kind of concepts. 
Yeah, that's an interesting, um, interesting way of looking at it. And I think that kind of um, that localism is an important thing. I'm, I've been looking at um, Mintel's global consumer research for Asia, the latest wave. And uh, when you look at statements um, such as I try to buy from local companies where possible, um, since, the, um, since the pandemic started, that's risen across most countries in Asia-Pacific. And it's, it's, it was high anyway, but it's, it's, it's got even higher. Uh, and likewise, got, at the same time, people are much more aware of their environment, but they're also wanting to support local businesses uh, more because that directly ties to the local economies, local jobs, and so on. And I think people are a lot more connected in that way. And you've probably also seen around the world people becoming a lot more appreciative of the people who do all the service jobs, you know, cleaning up, uh, the healthcare, the restaurants, the food delivery guys, all of that, we've relied on them. So that's been a mental shift as well. I think we're going to value their services and their roles in society a lot more. And I think, you know, we've already seen in the past cities trying to get things like local markets uh, artisan markets, that sort of thing going. Um, but perhaps now we could see potentially more of an appetite for that amongst a, a broader perspective, a broader uh, gamut of, of consumer groups, not just the sort of well-heeled sort of wellies and Range Rovers weekends. <laughs> Uh, kind of mainstreaming yeah, yeah. so I think that might go mainstream which will be great I think because uh, people are looking to support local businesses as I say not just in terms of the, the, the city space but we're seeing this online people have been uh, you know supporting local farmers local markets local producers local shops through uh, e-commerce through social commerce uh, during the pandemic to help keep those businesses going so we you know Again, I think we've seen a shift in mindsets amongst consumers that has potential for these kind of developments to really grow in the future. I just want to build off of that um, with what Richard and Matthew are saying about like the 15 minute city and then this idea of localism. I think one challenge we're seeing in the U.S. is as we do see a lot of people shift to some of these smaller cities, like I'm one of those people who shifted to Austin. And I think the concern in these cities is kind of are they going to start to get the problems that we've always seen in major cities, which is the congestion, the long waits to go to that restaurant you want. No one wants to wait two hours um, for a restaurant. So I think that's the concern that we're seeing from locals in some of these smaller cities where they're seeing the people come in from these major cities. They're worried it's going to change the dynamics that they've always loved. Is it going to you know, ruin the mom and pop experience because it's overcrowded? Is it going to create traffic? So I do think kind of to like what Richard is saying about how cities are designed, we're going to, I do think we need less of that central business district because that's what creates the congestion when you have everyone having to go to that one place at one from nine to five. And I think we've seen that really disrupt, but I do think that's where we're going to see offices become more like a little house in a neighborhood is going to be an office or it's going to, this area is an office hub and this area is. So it just spreads where people are going and how they're going. So it's not all everyone going to one place causing these major uh, congestion issues. And I think it's really going to create opportunities for like uh, cities to work with urban planners and architects because they really are kind of our foundational way. They kind of set the tone for cities and then businesses and brands and the residents kind of build upon that. But I do think it's going to be a lot of integration of different um, experts coming together. It is actually a, a really interesting point. And it does kind of make me think, you know, as everyone has moved so quickly to these different cities, because it all did kind of happen 
relatively all at once. Um, cities weren't really built like infrastructure wise to accommodate such the amount of people in such a short amount of time. You know, roads take time to build and houses take time to build and all of these different things take time to kind of grow. So I think that's a really interesting point as well that like if we've got this time and this moment to reconsider how we set these things up, then yeah, what do we do with that? Um, I guess that actually kind of leads me nicely to my next question, which was about the role that perhaps brands can play in this space. You know, as we've seen so many, we've seen this significant decentralization of, of people moving away from city centers to some degree and, and, and moving into kind of spreading out. Uh, what, if any, do you think that the opportunities are here for brands or things that at least brands should really be considering in this space as well? Yeah, I think picking up from my, um, my earlier point, I think there's opportunities for brands to be involved at a local level. I think one of the other things that we've seen from our global consumer research is that people want brands to be involved in their communities, not just to sell at their communities or at them and to, to make a profit. They, they want to see brands increasingly be part of the community for a positive. So I think there's all sorts of you know, potential things that um, brands can be involved with. I've spoken already about sort of local markets, for example. Now, there's nothing to stop supermarkets, convenience chains to be involved with those, to sponsor them, to actually set up stalls at them, not just grocery retailers. It could be sort of, you know, other retailers as well. Um, and that would not necessarily be a, a, a leap out of, uh, you know, out of any sort of vacuum. It would really be an extension of what we're already seeing online. So, for example, in the Philippines, there's a um, grocery chain called um, Mercato Centrale. Uh, and they have, what they've been doing during the, the lockdown there is they've been live streaming vendors from street markets. So you can actually watch them cook live and order from them as if you're in the market. But this is all done through uh, a grocery chain. So you can see there is a benefit there that brands uh, have in terms of being a facilitator, being the brand there that helps um, the smaller guy, helps the consumer get what they want that they can't otherwise get. Um, but they're essentially facilitating that. Now, obviously, they're going to make some money from sales of other things on the side. But again, I think that is a, is a good example. And we're seeing very uh, an awful lot of examples of this, everything from brands stepping in to help local farmers to sell their produce before it rots in the field, all of this sort of thing. So there's all sorts of uh, aspects that brands could look at. But I think it's making that mental switch to think about, okay, we're not just trying to you know, skim a profit off this market Think about it as a community. What can we, how can we be involved? It doesn't have to be necessarily just giving. It can be about collaboration uh, and there can be a profit motive in there as well. But, you know, working with the community rather than just taking money from it. Yeah, I would um, say I think where brands have an opportunity is not just thinking about the transactional value they have with customers, but where they can be a resource. So a couple examples I have, um, Best Buy announced they are doing, they're piloting a membership program, an annual membership program, um, where you get more um, on-demand access to what they refer to as their geek squad. So their tech support team for any of your tech issues. So it just gives you a little more personalized 
attention. And I think it comes with like the free shipping and those kind of things as well. But to me, it kind of where I, my head went when I heard that was they're trying to be that resource gap. If people maybe invested in a lot of tech this past year, which they did because they were all at home or maybe they moved and they're not by their office. So they don't have that on-demand IT support they did when they used to go to the office. I would be in that boat. I used to have IT right in the office and now we're states apart. So I do think they're kind of aiming to fill that gap of being that tech resource when you don't have that on-demand access. And then we've seen other brands take a resource approach of being a um, connection builder, I guess you could say. So Outdoor Voices, um, an athleisure active wear company, they used to do pre-pandemic um, uh, workout events where they would partner with either local gyms or use local parks and they would just bring people together in specific cities to have an event. And they took it virtual during the pandemic and now they're actually starting to bring them back in person. And I actually signed up for one here in Austin. It's a dog jog. You can bring your dog um, to the store. They do a jog around this area and then they have a local um, restaurant provide food afterwards or drink so to Matthew's point it's bringing in the local businesses even though they're a chain they're connecting with the local businesses of that city um, so people get the chance to taste it experience it so I think especially if people are moving they need those places to find new friends new connections and I think the more that brands can be a resource and not just focus on what is that product I'm selling but actually what is the full value of my business and how can I use my space to bring people together I think that's going to be a unique value add for brands. I, I totally agree, Diana. And, and to your point about um, building on that in terms of retail, I mean, the sort of convenience store is what we're seeing flourish, certainly in Europe. You know, people it's getting away from the out-of-town supermarket. You know, we talked earlier about the car disappearing. Um, being able to walk to your local convenience store, you know, that is where all the traffic seems to be. Yes, of course, we know online is growing its share, but that is still really, really flourishing, especially amongst young consumers who are less likely to own a car in the first place. So I think those areas have a really, a really strong future going forward. And that's where we're seeing all, all the growth at the moment in retail. That's a, a really good point. I really like, honestly, I just really like this idea of, of living out. Back when I was younger, I did immediately move away from the suburbs as quickly as I could, as I'm sure a lot of people did. But now I'm actually kind of really excited about them. I'm really excited about, you know, having fun, cute bars out there and living out with space as well, but still being able to walk to things. I think I'm very excited about it all, frankly. Um, let's flip this on the other side now, though, right? So we've spoken a bit about if all of these people are moving out of the city or they're not spending quite so much time in the city centre as they were before, what do we think is actually going to happen to that city centre space? So if we think about businesses downsizing, um, even if they're still keeping office space in the city, they're probably going to have a bit less than they were because they're going to have people not being in the office all the time. Um, I know that, yeah, certainly a lot of businesses around us, a lot of our clients have certainly been doing that. What's going to happen to all that space? What is the actual city centre going to look like in the future if it isn't quite so in demand as it used to be? Yeah, I build on that. I think, you know, there's practical and positioning opportunities for brands around this. I mean, I guess the practical thing to talk about if there is this kind of suburbanization trend is, you know, it's a boon for DIY retailers, hardware retailers. Um, but I think, you know, brands can do more to help in terms of, you know, relocation, um, building new communities like Dan has just been talking about and, you know, genuine real world social networks. There's the practical side of thing, you know, giving people access to tools or recommended trades people and things like that. But um, 
you know, the, these kind of things, this, this suburbanization, and I know we're going to talk about homeworking as well. Um, it's going to build on what Dana was talking about earlier as well. It's really going to reinvigorate um, local neighborhoods, I think, in that sense. You're going, they're going to be, these areas are going to be less transient. They're not going to be about uh, kind of dormitory towns where people sleep and then go to work. It's going to re- really reinvigorate them. So there's going to be loads of new leisure opportunities, retail opportunities um, in those formerly residential areas. So it's, it's very good news for them. Yeah, I totally agree. I think um, we're going to see, I think, uh, yeah, sort of the corporate side, the commercial side recede slightly from uh, the city centers. We're already seeing that in sort of uh, the way that shopping malls are becoming much more entertainment focused than necessarily retail focused. Um, But I mean, in many ways, if you think about how cities really developed historically, they started with, you know, being built around churches, cathedrals, universities, that sort of thing. and I think that, so, you know, I could see city centres becoming the, the, the seats of learning, education, culture, entertainment, uh, much more again. Um, and, you know, you think about Disney World, they used to have Tomorrowland or whatever it was called. I mean, maybe, maybe it'll become, become like that. City centres will become places where people experiment with new ideas because um, you've got the space to do it in. And you've also got, you know, the critical mass of population around to share those ideas and maybe develop those ideas in new ways. So I think there's all sorts of uh, possibilities there to rethink city centers in a more creative way and think about not just the profit motive and how much you can sell the property and the land for, but think about how much you can actually get out of a city center in terms of creative outputs. I agree. I agree with both of that, um, Richard and Matthew. I think, I think we are going to see uh, going back to this trend of rewilding and kind of what Richard was saying. I think we're going to see a lot of cities embrace this concept of space just to play, where there's going to be art, there's going to be architecture, there's going to be more smaller, like little room for pop-up things to host pop-up markets, host events during the different seasons. And I think we've seen this trend in major cities happening for a while. I think COVID is just accelerating it because that demand for office space won't be as high. So I think in New York, for example, Central Park has always been that hallmark of the city where you can escape and you have that sense of a park. I think we're just going to see that expand where it's no longer just going to be central park is that place you go for that experience you can get it in this borough or this area and it's just going to expand more and i think in chicago we're seeing that as well right now in the downtown area millennium park is kind of that area for people where you have like space and you have um parks and things for kids to play and i think we're just going to see it not you don't have to go to that hub for that it's just going to be blended in across all these downtown districts and then there's the, the whole concept of urban farming as well, vertical farming. Mm-hmm. And they've been talking about, I don't know if it's actually been built yet, in Shanghai they were talking about building a whole district of urban farms and bringing farming into the, into the city centre. And we've seen that in Singapore on top of uh, car parks. They've turned those into hydroponic uh, planting beds to grow vegetables. Um, here in KL we're starting to see that. So I think there's all sorts of opportunities, as you said, sort of, you know, green those urban spaces, those central urban mm-hmm. spaces again. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, just a little caveat. I mean, let's not forget that the majority of people, you know, uh, still uh, in rich countries still do jobs, you know, they don't do jobs that can't be done from home. So we're still going to have commuter flows into centers. We are. Um, not everyone's doing podcasts from, the, from their rooms, you know. Um, but you're right, though. I mean, the CBD, as we know, is going to decline. Um, 
I don't really lament the loss of it, really, as a traditional place. I always think of the CBD, certainly in Europe, as something which is, particularly the weekends, is very sort of soulless and empty and, um, and corporate. And I guess as service businesses are, are going to downsize, then maybe, you know, it frees up that retail um, and real estate. And it, the center can become something different. Um, I mean, obviously, people already talked about it might become something more residential. Um, maybe not to the point of, you know, New York, when New York was bankrupt in, in the 70s and you suddenly had all these, you know, music stars to be living in sort of downtown New York in loft apartments and things. Maybe it's not going to get to that stage. But I think it could become something which is, you know, a more revitalized art center, maybe some of the traditional trading we used to see, maybe that's going to come back. I mean, that's what strikes me in London. I mean, you go down to Covent Garden in the center, center of London, you've got the Covent Garden fruit market, and that's where the fruit market used to be as recently as the 1970s in London, and that's now moved out of the center. Maybe things like that are going to come back, and, and those kind of more expansive um, traditional retail markets could come back. So you might get farmer's markets in, in what was the CPD. Um, obviously, you can talk about them becoming areas for startups as well. Um, you know, and if homes, if our homes do become more about work, then I guess cities and CBDs are going to be less and less about work and more about play and more about inspiration, community things we've talked about and leisure as well. Um, and, you know, the, I think that, that could be good news. Let's see it as a positive. Let's make this space something uh, more enjoyable. So. I think it sounds like the prediction of the death of the city was maybe a little bit premature, but uh, as you've all explained, there are many different consumer needs that will need to be considered moving forward in order for cities to retain you know, their allure moving forward, uh, catering to a better or a wider range of demographics, greener and more sustainable spaces to counter that urban pollution, but also just to create better, nicer spaces to live in. Um, allowing for community and social spaces to basically do what cities do best, which is just bringing people together and creating a sense of community and creating a sense of, you know, that bustling sense of people wanting to do things. I think, yeah, I think there's, there's life in the old city yet. So that's about all we've got time for today. Uh, thank you so much to my guests, Diana, Richard and Matthew for joining in. What I think is a really enlightening chat. Thank you so much guys for joining me. Um, if you'd like to know more about Mintel, who we are and what we do, head over to Mintel.com and follow us on social media. We're on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And check out our blog for even more insights from both these analysts, but also many more. Um, thank you very much for listening. And make sure you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Um, if you like what you hear, please tell your friends. And we'll catch you again next time for another episode of Little Conversation. Little Conversation.